Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lokia Kahenge. We are coming back and back with a bang. We have Tina today with us from Own Your Crones. And you don't understand, guys, we're in the middle, we're in the presence of a superstar. Um, plain and simple. <laughs> and uh, and I have with me my co-host today. Hi guys, it's Manahil and I am so, so, so thrilled to be here right now with Kinza, of course. And Tina, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, thank you both for having me here today and I really appreciate the kind words. I'm so excited to talk to you both today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so here at, at LKK, as everybody knows, uh, we are having Tolerance and Acceptance Month. And today's uh, topic of tolerance is uh, tolerance and acceptance towards chronic illness. Um, and now that like everything that comes with it, every all the experiences of, uh, of the chronically ill person and the care partners as well. Yeah. So... With that, I would just love to hear everything that you have to say <laughs> about you. And about you, just tell us ab- uh, about yourself, your experiences, and just the awesomeness that I've just like seen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both so much, Ikenza and Manahil. I um, so my name is Tina, as you both introduced me earlier. I have a blog and uh, social media app, uh, advocacy platforms called um, Own Your Crowns. And um, really, I talk a lot about, you know, the chronic illness experience, but also the intersection of um, being South Asian minority living in the U.S. with this bowel disease. And I have a number of illnesses, I think, um, most of which originated with the Crohn's disease. And what Crohn's disease is, just to give you um, give you all an idea is it's it's a form of inflammatory bowel disease so it it's really like a lot of people think oh it's the stomach no it's not the stomach it's the intestines and the disease can run anywhere from your mouth to your bottom and it causes inflammation ulcerations it can even break through the intestines so lots of complications lots of surgeries potentially depending on how severe your case is and it's, it's a pretty serious chronic illness that can hit when you're quite young. Um, so I know patients that are diagnosed from birth or even in childhood. Um, I myself was diagnosed at the age of 22, but um, I do think that I had multiple, they're called extra intestinal manifestations, meaning that outside of the intestines, a lot of different issues, joint pain, eye issues, um dermatological manifestations i had a lot of that stuff growing up so i think my diagnosis probably happened a bit later um than it actually was when at at 22. so um, my experiences though have been like laden with a lot of issues around tolerance and acceptance and i think there's a couple ways to break this down really um i think that there's tolerance and acceptance of the self Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's tolerance and acceptance um, coming from others, right? With whether they're family, friends, people who are close to you, or even from the outside society. So it's like a different layer of um, tolerance and acceptance. And I think um, for me, a lot of that, and I think, you know, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but at the same time, just from speaking to other South Asian patients around the world, a lot of the tolerance and acceptance, um, you know, our own feelings of tolerance and acceptance are coming from society's views of us. Right. Um, and that's where this becomes really complicated for many of us, because this is like a whole other layer of challenge that we have to face with an illness, and that too, a really stigmatized illness that has to do with pooping. You know, um, so, you know, we talk about all sorts of things that are stigmatized. We're starting to like mental health, um, like sexual assault. We're starting to talk about all these things, um, sexual orientation. Um, What we need to also really talk about is major chronic physical illnesses as Mm -hmm. well that are stigmatized um, because the burden of these illnesses, inflammatory bowel disease is growing by leaps and bounds in the South Asian community. Every time I'm turning around, I have like, I'll wake up to messages from India or from, 
you know, like random places on earth where a South Asian person's like, I'm in trouble. I don't know what's going on with my body. And it's just a lot of our own self-image, self-perception, um, ideas around shame um, and acceptance and tolerance are coming from not ourselves, they're coming from society. And that's what I kind of want to talk about a little bit today, if if you both are open to it. Um, because I, I think this is really a very tricky subject for us. Um, for me, what had happened in the beginning is I think I was in such denial around my illness so this disease runs in my family it's um and which is which was unheard of in south asian culture it's considered like a western disease of diet of industrialization all of that right but the fact that this is running in my family for a few generations is perplexing because my father had crohn's he passed away from colorectal cancer from not having surgery in a timely fashion and from being on steroids for 15 years. Mm. We don't use steroids for more than a few months at a time now. Um, He died when I was eight. So that has really molded a lot of my own journey. Um, And a lot of the reason why I do this kind of work is because I've seen what this has done to my family and I can't, I can't see this happen over and over again to other families, you know, in our community. Um, So between him, so he passed away in New York. His sister, just a few years later, passed away in New Delhi. Same thing. And their aunt, um, my family's from Karachi, Pakistan. Um, We're Sindhi. So, um, but we're Hindu. So after partition, we moved to India and spread out around the world. But um, my great aunt, so their aunt, passed away. She bled to death. There was no such diagnosis back then, but they they saw blood on her clothes. It was very obvious that there must have been some cancer or some uh, Crohn's or ileitis, something going on that would have taken her life so of course they had no treatment options back in the 30s but she did pass away um during that time so really you know there's a lot of bowel issues in my family um aside from this in my immediate family and in in my extended family so um lots of polyps lots of ibs which is irritable bowel syndrome lots of all that stuff going on so i feel like if it's going on in my family Yes, um, it doesn't have to be going on in other families, but if it is, even if there's one person in a family that's struggling, if I can help that one person by talking about this and saying, look, I'm also struggling, um, it's okay, I think that's, that's where we can really help people. And that's why I'm trying to normalize talking about this. I'm not going to be vulgar and be like, this that about my poop or this that about I have an ostomy bag um I don't go to the bathroom like everybody else does but I go into a bag and that's another thing that's extremely taboo in our culture so um and my dad and aunt also had one as well um and for them it was like it was so taboo that they were both suicidal over it so like it's it's one of those things that this ostomy bag saved my life and I don't to attach a stigma to something that can save your life it that just doesn't add up in my mind so that's why I'm talking about this belief of what society thinks and what we think what I think of myself and I think the ostomy bag is a great example of that For me, you know, when I was headed into surgery, I got so much feedback from my family saying, no one's going to marry you with this thing, Tina. And I was like, what's the big deal? It's just a different way of pooping. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so my plumbing is a little different. (laughs) Like, what's the big deal? And it was this huge fight. And, you know, me being 24 years old, you know how, like, in our culture, it's like, your family, even if you're above 18, your family's involved in a lot of the decision-making. Hmm. Um, so my doctors would be like, Tina, you're above 18. This is your decision. I'm like, 
I understand it's my body, but the, the family is supreme in our culture. You know, yeah. our, our family's consideration, respect for elders, the family's reputation, um, perception in society. So like all, and they're like, well, you can either end up with cancer or die if you don't have surgery. Like that's, that's basically the ultimatum my gastroenterologist gave me when I was 24. And here, you know, my family is like, you know, no one's going to marry you. I'm like, if I'm not alive, what the point? Seriously. And then I would hear, but your dad hated his Oscar. I'm like, I'm not my dad. You know, like we've come a long way. I don't know what this is like. Let me decide for myself. Um, so anyway, push came to shove. I ended up in emergency surgery when I was 24 and, um, the ostomy saved my life it, mm. and I have one even today this is my third one because what had happened was I was given um because my family also pushed for it I was given an internal pouch that was made out of my small intestine after my colon was removed I didn't want it I was fine with the ostomy I didn't really care for it but this is how much family is involved in our culture, right? Oh my and I was just like, okay, my family understands this disease. They know about it. Um, let me also take their input. And my surgeon was also saying, you're young enough that, you know, you could have this reversed worst case. Reversal of that thing was not easy. It was botched. It was a huge problem. I went through a lot. And if I ever had to do it again, I would choose the ostomy hands down. I know there's a lot of social stigma involved, but when it comes to tolerance and acceptance, society, our culture does not have acceptance or tolerance for this ostomy bag for us to defecate in. Yet, who are they to decide how and how we should, you know, decide to live our lives or what, or what medicine is saying or modern surgery is saying, this is our body, this is our life to choose. And honestly, I didn't even have an option. So it was one of those things like, how can you judge me? And how can you choose not to accept me or tolerate me because of an ostomy bag? So that's, I think for a lot of my journey, I was sort of crying internally. Like, I want to accept myself. Right. Like, there was this constant tug of war between modern medicine, modern surgery, and what my family wanted. And here I am, like the monkey in the middle, stuck between the two. I'm like, what about me? What about me? And I, I think that's what I mean when I say there's got to be a self-acceptance, a self-tolerance, a self-love in all of this, saying, I choose me. Yeah. I choose life for myself. And if that life looks like a stigmatized existence to the rest of the world, so be it. Right. I still love me. And right. I think that's been, you know... The hardest part of my journey is getting to that. And I think my advocacy work over the last few years, it's going to be three years in March, is a culmination of that. It's saying, I choose me and I choose to help people like me who are stuck in the middle wow. and have no option. And I'm saying it's okay to choose you. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> we're sort of, we're, we're speechless. We're not sort of speechless. We're speechless. And thank you. Thank you for sharing you about you. Thank you for sharing about your family. Thank you for tracing the problem. Yeah. Thank you for our many problems. Our actually <laughs> too many problems. It, it's I'm sitting here and I'm like, I have, you know, I have chills because you're you're you know we're not fighting and it should just be about managing the the condition it should be about managing the situation and like you're saying it should be about making your self feel better right. meanwhile we have and you know i wish i could give you a hug right now like a giant oh. hug so like a virtual <laughs> virtual <big> hug. <laughs> Um, but you're talking about like, you know, before we even get to how to figuring out how to make ourselves feel better or this person that we love feel better, we have to figure out what a hundred other people think 
and make them feel better and comfortable with decisions that we have to make for ourselves or that person that we right. love with the condition. Exactly. It's horrible. It's horrible. It and I'm so sorry about, you know, um, your family members who had to suffer alone, who had to mm-hmm. listen to that trash talk of XYZ saying like, you know, but what about which is not which is not at all and we always amaze ourselves when we like think about how literally these three words are fit into so many situations that we all are living through and i can't believe that something as serious as as life a life or death situation a life or death situation also is met with this ridiculous phrase which we've absolutely come to hate um would it be okay for me to talk a little bit about what that phrase means to please me? yes please please i'm just thinking like look it encompasses so much like you're saying kinza like it's it's what like our entire mentality as a culture and i've heard this not just in south asian culture i've actually heard this all over asia Right. Apparently, it's like a Far East concept, too. And uh, it's it's used as a way to, um, as much as I love our culture and all the, the brilliance and exuberance of our culture and uh, what we have to offer to the world, there there's just so much stifling of the self, um, as I was saying earlier, in terms of making sure we glorify the family. Lokya Kenge, to me, feels like a suppression of the self it feels like a suppression of what what i want or what you might want whether it comes to you know careers whether it comes to education whether it comes to marriage children um basically life's most important decisions that make us who we are and make us feel whole and make us feel happy in life because we're in the driver's seat to make the decisions for ourselves. Right. It's basically saying, and don't get me wrong, I think family is extremely, extremely important. Um, and, uh, you know, I love my family very much and I love my extended family very much. But it's one of those things like there has to be a balance between the self and the family. Right. It can't just be glorification of the self or glorification of the family. There has to be an amalgamation of the two and sort of a confluence of the two working together that I matter and my family matters at the same time. And that's what I struggle with most with Lokia Kainge. It's like we can make this work. We yeah. can, you know individuals can be themselves make decisions for themselves that don't have to be so stigmatized and that don't have to bring down the family name and the other thing that really bugs me about you know this topic is every family has its skeletons everybody has something you know there's mental illness in a family there's sexual assault there's chronic illness there's you know those are not and should not be taboo subjects. You know, we can't control these things. You know what I mean? And my whole motto is, it doesn't matter what's happened to us. We haven't chosen this. Why do we have to live with that kind of shame and stigma? Why can't we garner the same respect as anybody else in society? Oh my God. And that's sort of my philosophy around Lo Kya Kang is, I, I really think that this should be about not so much about, you know, when your parents say to you, you know, when you bring up like a grievance or something like that, and they're like, oh, Tina, you know, like that type of thing. Oh, it, it should be, let's talk about this. Right, let's right. not suppress this feeling of yours. Let's talk about it. Let's have it out in the open so that we can sort of traverse this and transcend it. But no, it's more like, let's bury it. Right. Which solves nothing. It solves nothing, yeah. It just adds to the stagnant pile of things that needs to get talked about. And unfortunately, it, you know, rears its ugly head up, like, at the most worst, like, the, the worst of times. And unfortunately, sometimes in the in the form of, like, you know, in the cases of, like, you know, our 
unfortunately, like the males in our family, like in toxic masculinity or like, you know, for other women, like, you know, like screaming their heads off, like behind yeah. closed doors because we've seen that. Yeah. yeah, or like just going, and I don't use this term lightly, but crazy. Yes. <laughs> because they're just not being heard. And it's it's so unfortunate. I I can't even begin to like it touch on so many things that you just said. I feel like you know you've explained uh, handed down assumptions of you know a generalized view, which I don't even think you know in the name of culture or tradition we've been trying to figure out uh, you know in so many episodes what it actually achieves because we don't know. <laughs> it achieves nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think it makes things worse, quite frankly. I (laughs) completely agree. And unfortunately, like it has, you know, it has uh, given this sort of like impression of, you know, people who look like us, etc. To also be, you know, have so many assumptions made about us, uh, you know, which in itself becomes like a thing that you have to fight. And it's 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 terrible. Oh my God! Don't don't even. <laughs> I, I have to share a little bit about that. If that's okay. Yes, please. Um, so that's one thing that I've been up against a lot. Um, you know, now during the pandemic, not traveling as much for conferences or traveling internationally or any of that. You know, even going on vacation, obviously. But um, being that I have multiple chronic illnesses, lots of medications. Um, lots of ostomy supplies, medical supplies that I carry. I basically have like one small suitcase for all my medical stuff, okay? And then one suitcase for everything else. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And, um, and usually that one suitcase with medications and ostomy supplies is a carry-on because right. I don't want it to get lost. Mm-hmm. And so being the way that I look, I could be online at Newark Airport, right. okay? going to Miami for like a nice trip just for a weekend and guess what there's 300 people online with me at 7 a.m to to get through TSA and the TSA officer is just going around claiming they're doing a random check and I'm I'm telling my husband Anand I'm like watch them stop (laughs) and they don't stop at him you know he looks very Indian (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they stop at me and they're like, ma'am, we need to pull you aside for a random check. I'm like, random check my, my <laughs> you know what. <laughs> you know, I'm laughing about this, but it's so like upsetting on so many levels. They bring their dogs out. They sniff right. through all my medical stuff. I'm like, this oh, is no. racist. This is ableist. Yeah. Like, this is every inst. Like, I'm sorry. Um, it makes me so that and it happens in Europe too. I always get pulled aside and I even get pulled aside by people of that background. <laughs> you know, oh, they're wow. like, No, we see your ostomy popping up in the in the, the scanner. We're taking you into a room. We need we need to look at it. And oh like, my god. This is so demeaning. Like you know, because of the way I look it's just assumed that I could be carrying drugs in it. Mm-hmm. I've been actually said that too. No. No, many times. no, many times. And they're like, we need you to touch it and then touch these strips. And they run the strips through their machine to check if there's any like cocaine. I've asked, what are those strips? They're like, they're for drugs. And they bring the dogs in to sniff all my stuff. It's, I've gotten to a point where I've gotten used to it and show up now to the, the airport early because I've nearly missed my flight oh my a few God. times. But like it's and I've also gotten to the point where I just opt out of the scan now because yeah. I'm like, why am I, um, you know, subjecting myself to more radiation right. um, if I don't need to? If they're going to pull me aside. To basically search me, they go all throughout, they search me all throughout, and then they want to see my ostomy, and they take me into a room, and it's just, and this happens a lot to me internationally, and it's just like, you shouldn't have to get used to that, that's another piece of this that I shouldn't have had to get used to, but it's a reality, and it's not fair, Um, just because I look like able-bodied, right. um, you know, um, and I look a certain way, they, they drag me in just to make sure that, you know, I don't 
I don't, I'm not carrying drugs or I'm not doing anything illegal. And that's just such an unfair assumption. You would think that at this point, and like, you know, what we like to call is the 21st century, mm-hmm. we are uh, just a little bit more decent and, uh, I don't know, enlightened, or maybe just, I don't know, informed? Understanding, maybe? I don't know, like, uh, what do you just assume and then let, let, let dogs just, like, sniff your, your things? I, I'm just, like, speechless right now. I don't... And, you know, and this is interesting because I've never actually heard about this, like, like yeah. this before, you know, like, uh, from this perspective. So this is very eye-opening, definitely. Well, and, uh, you know, if we're going to talk about, you know, perception and especially self-perception, this takes a toll on a yeah. person, like, tolerance and acceptance for themselves because it's like, okay, we're talking about, you know, circles of society but then we're also talking about, you know, the system, the way the right. system is set up, uh, TSA is set up, and international agencies are set up um, for people to fly in and out. I understand um, there are things that have happened in the past, but, you know, I should not be profiled racially, um, especially given everything else that I'm dealing with. Yeah, right. By the time I get on the plane, I'm exhausted. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's such a process. And, you know, my husband will be waiting half an hour just on the side, you know, um, to make sure I get through. And it's, it's, I feel for him too. Like, it's just, it's not easy for him. And he's just like, it shouldn't be this way for you. You know, he's a little bit darker skinned. He looks more Indian. They let him go. Um, And for me, my name was Tina Aswani. For seven years of my marriage, I've been married 10 years. When Trump got elected, I added my husband's last name because Aswani sounds, you know, like a last name. It's it's actually, I think there's the Aswan Dam in Egypt. Right. Um, mm. And I often get asked if I'm from that region of Egypt. Wow. I've even been asked from Egyptian people. So um, this is very hard for me. Like, uh, not that I have any problem with um, being of any descent or, Mm -hmm. you know, like, but I think it just needs to be more acceptance and understanding that just because you might be from a certain area or you might look a certain way doesn't give people a right to profile you and assume that, you know, that you could be carrying things that you're not. Seriously, I mean, just like everybody else. This whole uh, specific, you know, randomly getting checked because of being brown thing is getting so old now. It's just getting so old. Like, you know, I think we've come to a point. I'm not saying bad things can't happen, but I feel like we've come to a point where I don't think that any sane brown person would, like, even try doing something at an airport anymore. It's just, you know, it just sounds so overplayed. And I'm not invalidating everything that has happened. But, like, come on. Like, just... Just stop. Like, it's so overplayed now. And it's bad enough that they're, you know, pulling you out because of your skin color. And then to just, like, I, I just can't get over the fact that, you know, they take you and then they search through your stuff and then, you know, maybe even accuse you of having drugs. It's it's crazy. Yeah. It's too, it's too much. And then, I'm sorry, the dog thing is a little too much. That's They'll open up my so bags right in front of me. The dogs will come and sniff. No. Like, there'll be two or three of them at a time. And I'm just like, this is so demeaning. This is... Um, As it is, I feel horrible about having these illnesses, um, not being able to do as much Mm -hmm. as I would like to um, or be as productive or, Mm -hmm. you know, accomplish the things that I may have wanted to accomplish. And here we are. And you're going through all my things like this. You know what I mean? It's just so humiliating Mm -hmm. um, to be pulled aside like that. So that's just an added layer of stress to... um, being chronically ill and then on top of that adding to the issues around tolerance and acceptance of yourself yeah if right. society if organizations like this um are not accepting you for who you are you know how are you going to accept yourself that's the other part of this i think that's that a huge part i think that you mentioned something before you said able-bodied they see me as mm-hmm. you know a person who doesn't need a wheelchair so you know what this is the fine category and right. can be treated, you know, if anything, like worse and blah, blah, blah. Because I refuse to believe that there are not other people that don't take flights who don't have an ostomy bag or, you know, who like, 
I refuse yeah. to believe that. I mean, I, many of us. <laughs> I thought it would be part of their training by now. Like, you know, um, to be able to, like, you know, just be more understanding towards anybody who needs needs to be just let yeah. through now <laughs> but it's it's insane. and i have a letter like i have a letter right. indicating that i might be carrying injectable medicine mm-hmm. and that i might be that I, I have an ostomy you know so it's it's very like appalling to me to to still have to go through this and i've mentioned this at ostomy support groups and even inflammatory bowel disease support groups and people are just horrified yeah. because outside of our skin tone outside of being brown this doesn't happen to people right and i i'm i've sort of asked it like you know is this happening to you all as well and everybody's like oh my god this is happening to you you need to complain you need to do i'm like it's gonna do nothing yeah go to the airport a half an hour early (laughs) like it's gonna do nothing like it's just that's that's the thing like if there's groups of us complaining about it that may be something you're right you're that's right. why I asked. So it, it's it's definitely a struggle, um, you know, being sort of looking a certain way, looking young, looking able-bodied, mm-hmm. right. um, and not actually being that way. Now, right. there's been times when I've had a wheelchair at the airport. Like mm-hmm. last year, I busted my ankle really badly, and I was going to a conference. Right. So I needed a wheelchair. Meanwhile, people are staring at me. I'm like, do you not see the boot that I'm in? People are staring no. at me for using a wheelchair. So, like, you can't win. No. You can't win when people are like, you look great. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. you, lost, you lost a few pounds. You look great. I'm like, yeah, that's actually probably because I'm malnourished. <laughs> like, I'm not absorbing. But, like, and on the other hand, if you use a wheelchair, or you use a mobility aid of some sort. I had vertigo from, so I'm immunocompromised. I'm on something called biological agents, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, can modify your immune system to prevent, you know, Crohn's flares. And this is in other autoimmune conditions, MS, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, other things as well, um, that these medications are used for. So, I picked up the flu on a plane one time um, four years ago. The flu actually got into my brain and my GI system. I was hospitalized because I coded. I coded in the hospital when they admitted me. I had something called vertigo. So mm-hmm. I was very dizzy, sort of could not keep my balance, walk straight. Plus, I had a GI infection. And they're like, you have the flu. And I'm like, I have all this from the flu. And they're like, yeah, because you're on biological agents, and that can make mm. you more immunocompromised. So you could get hit really hard with the flu if you don't get the flu shot. And I didn't get the flu shot that year, lo and behold. And, of course, I get it all the time now. But I was using a walker um, in the hospital because I could not walk after that episode. And I remember specifically an Indian doctor who was on my case, and I think he was new, laughing at me when I walked out with a walker. No, this makes me so sad. Now tell me, how do I come to accept myself if the Indian doctor on my case is laughing? You don't. We wish that we could tell you that we had better stories about, like, from our personal experience or anything like that. In the worst of mom's flares and relapses, we have had walkers and, like, you know, sticks and stuff like and, that. And us as her walking stick. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I totally get it. And my mother is, you know, we, we actually talk about this all the time and, you know, we have her permission and sort of like her blessing to talk about these things because she she has been one of those people that has never fully been able to be able to accept her condition because of Lokya Kahinge, because of the fact that people stopped or people never believed that she actually had a, you know, an autoimmune condition. Uh, right. It was always about oh, you know what, why don't you go to this Hakeem or, like, this healer? Right. Why don't you go to, like, you know, that person who might have done, like, you know, some sort of black magic on you? Oh, why don't you do... Why uh, don't like, you read this? Why, why don't, don't you, you read, read this? this? Why don't you read that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's been horrible. And, you know, despite the fact that she had an invisible illness that was not very well known in Pakistan, we were actually in Pakistan when she got diagnosed 
um you know she has she has never accepted the fact that she has uh, ms and when you don't do that or at least this is our you know experience you actually don't want to look at different ways that you know can actually help you as well right. which is so hurtful which was so really hurtful. hurtful and we can we can only push her to a certain certain you know limit and then she has to do the rest herself but when other family members call it a problem you know rather than a condition that they're able to you know look up a definition or understand and by the way like our family or you know and, and some of them listen to this and so we are not like you know we've we've had frank conversations or we've tried to have frank conversations from yeah. our perspective but like you know when people um and they're intelligent people but like you know if somebody if if us in general we are not willing to understand what a certain loved one is going through and maybe help them in ways that can be you know uh, helpful in them accepting it themselves right um they can't possibly begin to you know get start getting better on a on a scale that you know that that matters right and so That's those walkers or those walking sticks have been looked at as or like thrown away as like you know insults because you know i am not i am you know in her words she I'm is not, not this. i'm yeah. not this i'm not this i'm yeah. fine i'm the, you know same thing going on with like mental health or you know seeing a therapist it's like oh. nope i'm good i'm all yeah. right and meanwhile, like, you know, we, we can clearly see that no, anybody who lives with a chronic illness also knows that it's a big uh, mental health, uh, you know, component to it. So, And she knows that too, you know, like she has had days when she was in bed and would just not come out of her room. So she knows that too. But I think the thing is that she just never got that support from not our family, like her, her daughters and her husband, but I think her, you know, her... Her own family. Her own family. Like <laughs> extended her, family. Extended family, her own family. Yeah, which also really that sucks. validation from, like, society, right. you know, that right. this exists. I'm complaining about it. You don't believe me. There's a huge problem there. There's yeah. a huge, like, divide there. Yeah. Um, it makes you feel like you're crazy. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And we have seen it firsthand. I just witnessed a conversation between her and a family member, I don't want to say exactly who, say this, that, you know, she was like, oh, nobody really has the patience to sit down and have a conversation with me. And this other family member was like, oh, they say that you just don't speak. And, you know, it just took everything in me to not just, like, go up to them and just yell at them. But I let the adults have their conversation, so it's okay. But, you know, I was just like, why? Like, she, you know, this family member was like, yeah, you just don't, you know, say anything to them. You just don't make the conversation. She's like, nobody even tries to come and sit with me. And, like, you know, for example, like, if we're at a family dinner, she always sits towards the corner, towards the side, because she's always comfortable that way. She does not, you know, engage with a lot of people, which is fine. That's how she's comfortable. But nobody takes the initiative to even go up to her and be like, hey, how are you doing? Nobody. You know, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up, Niall, because it's been such a struggle for me, too. I completely relate to your mom. And right. I'm so thankful that both of you are so supportive of her, you know? Like, it's amazing that you're doing this because um, we really have to start shattering this stigma. So for me, whether it's with... Um, my husband's side of the family, um, and that's already a, a difficult situation. It has been for years because they've always told him you could have done better. Um, and yeah, like, um, and even on my side of the family, many extended family members are like, why would this man marry you? Oh my As gosh. if I had nothing to offer besides my illness. And when I go to family events, I've had to sit on the side because, and feel like a wallflower. And I talk about this in my writing, is I often feel like a wallflower at family events because no one wants to talk to me. No one wants to acknowledge my presence because basically I lead the stigmatized existence. And now with you know me being out in the open, it's just like, oh, we don't want anything to do with her. <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? And it's just like, 
So even if I go to events, like, I mean, obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic and I'm mm. not exposing myself or right. anybody else. Like it's, uh, that's a separate story. But like, you know, mm. when I would go to Thanksgiving or Diwali, I'd almost rather spend it with my friends right? because right. my friends I've chosen and they've, they accept me. Right. Whereas if I subject myself to some of these, some of these events, even weddings and stuff mm-hmm. of like extended family members, people are just looking at me and I can see that they're whispering about me. Oh, that's that girl. You know, like, I don't know what they're saying, but the point is like, why? Like, why does that have to be our reality? We are just another human being. Yes, we have potentially serious health conditions. Don't make us feel like we're the other. Right, right. And that's, that's my biggest issue here. I'm sorry that your mom's gone through it too. And it's just like, I'm a very like outgoing social person. Um, Crohn's disease and my health is a huge part of my life. And by leaving me a wallflower on the side and acting like I don't matter means that, you know, first of all, you're saying that this disease is all of me right. and that I have nothing to offer besides my disease. Mm-hmm. Plus, if, if you talk to me, you think that the only thing that I can talk about is my illness right. and, and that, you know, that's going to make you really uncomfortable. So you don't even want to come and approach me. So like, I mean, that's just, it's, it's mind boggling to me that this is the way, you know, our society is. Why can't we be more accepting of other people? Like when when I go to events and when I see somebody sort of sitting off to the side, I go and sit down next to them That's so nice. and make conversation with them. Right. I specifically go out of my way. If somebody has a visible disability or visible mm-hmm. like sort of issue, I, I make sure to go out of my way. This has been me my whole life. I was right. diagnosed at 22, but I can't sit there and just be like, you know, oh, I'm going to hang out with everybody else and let that other person sort of just be a wallflower. That's not who I am. And I can't understand why other people can't do the same thing. It's just, it's not right. Include everybody. Right. Oh, so true. They don't want to be a part of it. They just don't. They would exactly. rather be just gossiping about who looks at what and what what's happening otherwise. They just don't want to. And, you know, like you said, you phrased it very, very, very perfectly that, you know, your illness is not the only thing you have to offer. Like, our mom is so smart. Like, she has so many smart conversations. But people just don't try, you know. They'd rather just, like, slightly make fun of her, you know, because they know she's not going to understand. And she doesn't. She doesn't understand. But, you know, they'll slowly just, like, make fun of her or whatever. And, you know, she's just thinking it's, like, oh, light conversation. But it's not. Like, we hear it. We know what's really going on. And it's just really sucky that we can't just, like, punch them in the face. But that's not... There's that respect for elders. Exactly. And then we, like, if we intervene in something like that, like, we get blamed. Yeah. Yeah. So it's... the, The way I look at this... Um, is that the change has to begin with us. Mm -hmm, We might not be able to speak up to elders um, without getting scolded or without being put down. Um, But what what I believe is that we can spread that awareness. Mm -hmm. Like, I might not be able to say anything to my elders, um, but I will continue to do this advocacy work to help change things. And I think your podcast is doing exactly that too. And I think that's the way we go about it. And we share it with other people who are younger than us and, right. you know, potentially our children at some point, nieces and nephews. Like, this is how we can sort of um, incorporate change, right. I think. I, I think not from the elders' uh, side, but from the generations behind us. I love, love that. that. Because that's exactly what we were going to. And you won't believe it, but it's almost been an hour since wow. we are talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> Always surprises us, but thank you so much. I mean... You know, something you said before, I think that if we start doing it in groups, if we start, you know, saying it's not just me, I'm not the only person here, somebody else is feeling it and coming together. And that's exactly why we wanted to thank you for reaching out to us and saying, hey, can we talk? I mean, thrilling, thrilling. She told me everything and it was just (laughs) thrilling. 
Um, but you know, I, I, and I think that there's so many more things that we can talk about, but, and we will talk about it. Hopefully we'll talk about it. We'd love episodes. to have you in more for sure. Um, right. anytime you let me know. <laughs> thank you. But it's definitely, it, thank you so much for, for all the work that you're doing. And I definitely want to, and you already started on saying that. So what do you think right now, um, you know, is actionable advice, right? For people who are listening to us. Uh, you're right, our friends, people who understand us and accept mm. us, they're already, you know, in small ways, empowering us to do better in our right. lives, right? Um, and I think that that, how cool would it be if like the people that are closest to us, the, the, the ones that we hang out at family dinners and who love to give us advice and stuff like that, um, could, could do the same. But what do you think are some small baby steps to, to uh, you know, get to that actionable big steps, hopefully in the future? Um, for people who are listening to us? I think um, one of those baby steps is just listening to something like this, right? Mm -hmm. um, because whether or not you're chronically ill, disabled, or, or not at all, and you're able-bodied, I think this opens up your mind towards, you know, how can we be more of an ally to the community, but also how can we be an ally to ourselves? Right. Um, I think one of the things that my mom had done early on and i'm very fortunate in this regard um my mom understood the value of mental health and she put mm -hmm. me in therapy when i got very sick right. and she also put me um in support groups now mm -hmm. right now because of the pandemic we have virtual support groups um i do find those helpful but i think what really helped me was sort of the in-person support group interaction um especially with other women mm -hmm. and seeing other women who had fruitful marriages and relationships whether or not they were indian did not matter they were not indian right they were not you know south asian period but i was like oh my god i've been guilting and shaming myself all these years and these people are happily married or happily in relationships and nobody looks down on them for you know having these illnesses right um and i think that really opened my mind i think that it's important to hear what your community racial and ethnic community has to say um about chronic illnesses and disabilities um sort of soak that in yeah. but i think it's also important to expand yourself into your disease area or even outside of your disease area Right. Because a lot of what we're going through is similar. Um, there's sort of niches, right? You know, there's the South Asian community, there's your disease area, but this entire chronic illness um, sort of community or this entire community sort of advocating for the differently abled, um, you know, voices, I think getting involved, seeing what other people have to say, educating yourself on what's appropriate what's not appropriate mm -hmm. also deciding for yourself if you are a part of the chronically ill mm -hmm. community what is acceptable to you and what is not acceptable to you right. i think setting those boundaries in your mind even writing them down for yourself in a diary or journal is really important um as a person who's chronically ill as a person who you know might be a, a daughter or son or sister or brother or, or parent of a child dealing with this, I think listening to these things, um, reading blog posts, reading articles on these topics allows you to become a better ally. I think right. these are the ways that we can understand ableism, that we can sort of become better allies to different communities um, that, you know, house disabilities, that house chronic illnesses. Um, because otherwise it's really hard to understand. I think there's a lot of rhetoric around racism, around sexism, um, uh, you know, but there is not enough about ableism. Mm -hmm. And there still isn't like sort of this, you know, guideline or this approach to how do you approach people with chronic illnesses, especially not in our community. Mm. So, uh, you know, I, I just finished actually last night writing a research paper on ableism in the South Asian community and South Asian diaspora. Um, and I'm thinking to actually, once it's graded and you know finalized and stuff like that, actually post it to my blog because mm. I feel like 
that in and of itself as a research paper, I talk about experiences a lot, I do interviews a lot, um, and I work with other people with disabilities in the South Asian community, outside of the South Asian community, but seeing research validate your experience around what's going on in our community is also extremely important because that justifies how you've been feeling. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to read, to listen, um, even if you're not ready to contribute yourself. Right, um, right. I don't think that everybody, you know, uh, needs to feel comfortable to do that. You know, there were many years in which I, did, I couldn't speak about this right. and I listened. And I think that's, a, that's an okay place to be. That's a perfect place to be, whatever is your jam. You know, right. like that's, that's how I look at it. But I think that there's clear things that we can do to help ourselves and that we can do to help our families and support systems understand these things better. And this is where I think we can help the most is um, reading these things, listening to these things, but also becoming aware of some, some of the, there's a flood of online support groups now, but you know, I think what worked really well for me was the in-person ones because right, yeah. it was that you see them, you, yeah you can go out to eat with them or go for maybe a walk with them or just sit and have like a cup of tea with them. Yeah. You get that vibe for who they are. Um, and, and as a group, you get that vibe. It's yeah. very different in person and it makes you feel more accepted and it makes you feel like you can actually accept yourself as right. a result. Right. right. Thank you so, so much, literally. Uh, we're going to make a beautiful checklist out of everything you just said yeah. because I feel like it's important. So many important notes. It's, it's important to take take all of those into, you know, like it, I feel like um, actionable items when they're in front of you, uh, even if you can do one in like a month or whenever, I've, you know, it, it can make you feel better. Yeah. Um, and once more, thank you so much for sharing your story. It was such an honor to listen to you. And I, I feel like I can keep on listening for hours. Yes. <laughs> it's <laughs> true. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast oh. and um, for, you know, this conversation and for this platform because we need so much more of this. And yeah, thank, thank you, you. Um, for supporting your mom and being so understanding and empathetic to, you know, our cause. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you. We're trying. On that note, we always invite our guest to end with, uh, you know, we say thank you so much and blah, blah, blah. Have a great week. Have a great <laughs> week. And don't worry about lo kya kahenge. And when we invite our guest to say, don't end worry about <laughs> lo kya kahenge with us. So with that note, we're going to end. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. Have a great week. Yes. And definitely yeah. don't worry about lo, lo kya, kya kahenge. kahenge. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yourselves. <laughs>